You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. Transparent Tribe expands its activity against India's education sector. A Lazarus subgroup is after defense sector targets. The FBI's Denver office warns of potential juice jacking. Legion is a Python-based credential harvester. The source of leaked U.S. intelligence may be closer to identification. Johannes Ulrich from the Sands Technology Institute explains Upwork scams. Our guest is Charlie Tunamore of Vanderbilt University on the cyber lessons learned from Russia's war on Ukraine. And Canada responds to claims of Russian cyber attacks. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, April 13th, 2023. This morning, Sentinel Labs described recent activity by Transparent Tribe, APT36 that shows a close interest in India's education sector. The threat group, active since at least 2013, is believed to be based in Pakistan. Described as not very sophisticated but highly persistent, Transparent Tribe has been running phishing campaigns baited with education-themed topics. The typical payload the attacks deploy is the Crimson Rat, relatively unsophisticated as it may be, Transparent Tribe has updated and adapted its tactics, techniques, and procedures to include, according to Sentinel Labs, adoption of Olay embedding as a technique for staging malware from lure documents and the EaseFuscator obfuscator to protect Crimson Rat implementations. The campaign suggests that the threat actor's interest in the education sector is intended for espionage. The operators are interested in research being carried out in Indian universities. An ongoing remote access Trojan campaign is being conducted by Death Note, a subunit of North Korea's Lazarus Group. The campaign seems to be focused on defense sector targets, specifically in the African defense industry since 2022. Dark Reading reports that Death Note's campaigns targeting the defense sector have not affected U.S. organizations. Kaspersky detailed the organization's infiltration methods, explaining... Death Note initially breached the company via a trojanized open-source PDF reader sent via Skype Messenger. Once executed, the PDF reader created a legitimate file and a malicious file in the same directory on the infected machine. Dark Reading explained, 
It then used a technique known as DLL sideloading to install malware for stealing system information and downloaded a sophisticated second-stage remote-access trojan called Copper Hedge from an attacker-controlled command-and-control server. A June 2022 report by ESET noted early signs of the shift, stating, As early as 2020, ESET researchers had already documented a campaign pursued by a subgroup of Lazarus against European aerospace and defense contractors, ESET called Operation Interception. This campaign was noteworthy as it used social media, especially LinkedIn, to build trust between the attacker and an unsuspecting employee before sending them malicious components masquerading as job descriptions or applications. The FBI Denver office is warning against juice jacking, or the criminal use of public charging stations to introduce malware onto a device. CBS News reports that the FBI has advised against the use of public charging stations. No incident in particular triggered the service announcement. Rather, it was intended as a field office warning. Officials at the FCC warn that malware can be distributed through corrupted ports, such as those at malls and airports, and that such malware has the potential to, for example, lock a device or exfiltrate personal data and passwords directly to a criminal. The data lifted can be used for online accounts or sold in criminal marketplaces. But many experts also caution about exaggerating the risk of juice jacking, which, while a real possibility, also doesn't seem to be a widespread one. Cato Security described this morning how the Legion AWS Credential Harvester, malware intended to target and abuse emails, is working in the wild. The Legion tool is sold via Telegram, an increasingly important C2C channel. It includes modules dedicated to enumerating vulnerable SMTP servers, conducting remote code execution, exploiting vulnerable versions of Apache, brute-forcing cPanel and web host manager accounts, interacting with Shodan's API to retrieve a target list, and additional utilities such as abuse of AWS services. The threat actor was potentially tracked by Lacework as Androx Ghost in December of last year. Linguistic signs indicate that the threat may be based in Indonesia. The Washington Post has investigated the Discord papers, as they're now being called, by going to the obvious place, the Discord group where the intelligence documents were first posted. The leaks came through a small invitation-only clubhouse named Thug Shaker Central, established on Discord in 2020. Its members were apparently looking for fellowship and diversion during the pandemic and found it among a collection of military wannabes who shared a willingness to engage in casual, low-grade racist humor and fantasies about conspiracies. The leader of the clubhouse, a young man with the derivative handle OG, is described as a young, charismatic gun enthusiast who shared highly classified documents with a group of far-flung acquaintances searching for companionship amid the isolation of the pandemic. OG told his followers, who seemed to have been disproportionately teenage boys, that he worked on a military base, which he declined to identify, and that he spent his days working with classified material in a secure facility. The two youths with whom the Post spoke, one of whom they interviewed with the permission of his mother, which indicates how young the members of the group are, 
say they know O.G.'s real name, the state in which he works, and that he's in his early to mid-twenties. Counterintelligence officers traditionally use the acronym MICE for money, ideology, compromise, and ego to summarize the motivations of people who commit espionage. O.G. seems to have been motivated strongly, apparently exclusively, by ego. One of O.G.'s besotted followers told the Post, If you had classified documents, you'd want to flex at least a little bit, like, hey, I'm the big guy. The material began to leak from its initial Discord channel on February 28th, when one teen member of Thug Shaker Central posted some of its photos to a different Discord channel. Other files subsequently spread to a Discord server devoted to the game Minecraft. OG stopped sharing classified information in mid-March, but on April 5th, some of the material already posted appeared in 4chan and Russian Telegram channels. At that point, the leak finally came to the attention of the U.S. government. When OG became aware that his leaked files had leaked beyond his online family, he was, the follower told the Post, distraught. The Post quotes the follower as saying, He said something had happened, and he prayed to God that this event would not happen, but now it's in God's hands. NBC News reports that the incident has prompted the U.S. government to review the way it monitors social media for security threats. The intelligence community is now grappling with how it can scrub platforms like Discord in search of relevant material to avoid a similar leak in the future, said a congressional official. How that might be accomplished is under study, and the solution is not obvious. One of the leaks in the Discord papers outlined attempted Russian cyber attacks against Canada's natural gas infrastructure. Prime Minister Trudeau said yesterday that the country's infrastructure sustained no physical damage from such attacks. And finally, while cyber attacks in the hybrid war continue to fall short of pre-war fears and expectations, officials caution against anyone letting their guard down. The Voice of America quotes NSA Cybersecurity Director Rob Joyce's warning not to dismiss Russian offensive cyber capabilities. Joyce said this week, In cyber, I think people have underestimated really how much game they, Russia, brought, whether it be the Viasat hack to nine or ten different families of brand-new, unique wiper viruses that have been thrown in that ecosystem. There's continued attacks on Ukrainian interests— whether it's financial, government, personal, individual, business, just trying to be disruptive. One of the threat actors that will bear watching is Winter Vivern. Advertium has published a summary of Russia's Winter Vivern and its recent activities. The researchers urge continued vigilance against what they describe as a scrappy and often overlooked group. Coming up after the break, Johannes Ulrich from the Sands Technology Institute explains Upwork scams. Our guest is Charlie Tuna Moore of Vanderbilt University on the cyber lessons from Russia's war on Ukraine. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. 
With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. everybody want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show Charlie Moore. He goes by Tuna to his friends. He is a distinguished visiting professor at Vanderbilt University and former deputy commander at U.S. Cyber Command. Uh, Charlie, welcome back. Hey, Dave. Uh, Great to be back with you. Thank you so much. I want to touch today on where we stand when it comes to the conflict uh, in Ukraine, uh, Russia's war there, and um, some of the lessons that we're learning when it comes to the cyber elements of that. What are your insights here? Yeah, it's a fascinating subject to, to take a look at. And, and I think one of the things you have to begin with here is this really is the first nation state war, one involving a nuclear capable power, where we are seeing full spectrum cyberspace operations taking place. And so there's a lot to look at here and lessons learned to be garnered. When I first look at this, I'm immediately reminded of a quote that I was uh, forced to memorize when I was a first-year cadet at the United States Air Force Academy. And Dave, the quote is, victory smiles upon those who anticipate the changes in the character of war, not upon those who wait to adapt themselves after the changes have already occurred. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that quote comes from Air Marshal, uh, Italian Air Marshal Julio de Hay during the period between the Great Wars and the, the 20th century. And specifically, what he was talking about was what he saw as the dominance of this new third domain of warfare called the air. But I think that quote and his insights there are just as relevant today when we think about what's going on in the cyber slash the digital domain. 
because of the technological advances in computing, networking, big data analytics, AI, and, and other tools, the ability to achieve persistent information dominance over one's enemy has changed the character of war, in my opinion. And how has that specifically played out in this situation? Well, I think first I got to uh, give a little bit more background to answer that question. Hmm. So because of what I refer to as digital convergence, now what do I mean by digital convergence? I mean that virtually everything we use to sense or see what is occurring in the battle space, to gather that data, to transfer that data, to store that data, to analyze that data, and turn it into information that decision makers can then use to direct operations occurs within the cyber or digital domain. So it's because of this digital convergence and by achieving cyber digital superiority over our adversaries, that's what we really mean when we talk about trying to achieve or the ability to achieve information superiority or dominance. And obviously throughout military history, knowing more about the battle space and your adversaries resulted in significant advantages. And it's often been a huge determining factor. But today's technological advancements provide us the opportunity to effectively achieve persistent information advantage over our adversaries and thus allowing not only success in individual battles, but strategic levels of dominance military leaders throughout history could only dream about. Now, with that as a background, what what I'm referring to, and we look at current events and what's going on in Ukraine, is it's giving us a little glimpse of one aspect of, of what digital convergence means to war fighting. So if we remember back in February, February 24th, when this invasion first began, the vast majority of experts, including our own military experts, were saying they believed, you know, the Ukrainian capital Kiev would, would fall in as little as 72 hours. And since then, we've had a lot of analysis and a lot of things have been written and discussed about the many failures of the Russian military. And undeniable, there's many components to this. But we've also spent a lot of time focused on the advanced weaponry that we've been giving to Ukraine and how that's helped turn the tide of of the battle. And no doubt we've given tens of billions of dollars. I think total aid now we're approaching $200 billion of advanced weaponry and, and other type of assistance that's been given to Ukraine. But What's really important to remember is that some of these very effective and lethal weapon systems are really game-changing because of the real-time information being provided to the Ukrainians, primarily utilizing the cyber and digital environment that allows them to be employed with speed and precision against prioritized enemy targets in support of an overarching military strategy. That is extremely, extremely important, and I think has really given them an asymmetric advantage over the Russians. In your estimation, how much are the Russians actually underperforming versus what we thought their capabilities were versus that uh, the Ukrainians are taking advantage of the capabilities of their allies to, to help defend them? Or, is that, or how much is it a combination of those things? It's absolutely a combination of those things. I mean, there's just some fundamental problems that we've seen with the Russian military, uh, you know, their, their ability to perform logistics uh, support, just baseline logistics support is just absolutely atrocious. The day-to-day care, 
uh, in support of their equipment that they're brought into the battle space. And while it's in the battle space, is not up to you know our standards by any means. Their inability to really perform joint uh, combined operations, primarily we're talking about in the air, land, cyberspace, and space, uh, really doesn't exist anywhere to the level that uh, obviously the United States and our NATO friends and allies train to. But I think underlying all of those problems really gets back to um, a lot of the assistance that they are getting from Western nations. And this isn't to, by any means, belittle the incredible effort by the Ukrainians and their willingness to fight and defend their homeland and all the sacrifices they are making. But I do believe that underlying much of their support is this information advantage that we've essentially been able to gift to the Ukrainians. And a lot of that capability was developed during the counterterrorism fight over the last 20 years, hmm. where the United States really refined its ability to find, fix, track, target, and what we would call finish enemy targets at a speed and with a lo- level of precision that even our near-peer adversaries like Russia and China simply cannot match. And so being able to gift that type of data to the Ukrainians and, and empower them to understand what the Russians are up to, what their plans are, where their forces are located, what we think their schema might be, where certain types of targets are going to present themselves. That's been an asymmetric advantage that uh, we've been able to provide them. As both our allies and our adversaries look at what's going on here, how do you suppose this is going to inform uh, how they approach these sorts of conflicts in the future? Well, what I hope, I hope one of the lessons we take away is the absolute importance of this digital space and achieving uh, true digital slash information superiority. I really believe that uh, moving forward, if you simply build the best ships and the best aircraft and the best tanks and train the best soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, that's not going to be enough. Underlying it all is going to be that information superiority. It's going to not just make it possible to do that job well, it's going to be critical in order to be be able to win and to perform those fundamental uh, military functions. Before I let you go, uh, there is a summit coming up at Vanderbilt University, which which is where you are a uh, distinguished visiting professor. Uh, Can you give us a, a few of the details about that event? Yes, thanks for giving me the opportunity to do that. So we're hosting the Vanderbilt Summit on Modern Conflict and Emerging Threats. It's going to take place May 4th and 5th on the Vanderbilt campus in Nashville, Tennessee. And the summit uh, convenes internationally renowned leaders and experts from academia, military, government, and industry to explore collaborative approaches to some of the most critical security challenges of our time. So this year... We're going to focus on global competition, cyber threats, and the national security implications of advancements in technology like artificial intelligence. Uh, We have an incredible group of speakers and panelists that are coming out, including General Nakasone, the commander of U.S. Cyber Command and the director of the National Security Agency, General Retired Todd Walters, who was formerly the NATO Supreme Allied Commander and UCOM Commander. Jen Easterly, the director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, a whole lot of other folks. And if people are interested to get more information and hopefully join us, you can go to 
vu.edu slash summit. And that's vu as in Victor Uniform dot edu slash summit for more information. So hope to see folks there. All right. Charlie Tunamore is a distinguished visiting professor at Vanderbilt University and former deputy commander at U.S. Cyber Command. Charlie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Always great talking to you. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to welcome you back. Uh, You and your colleagues have been tracking some scams on Upwork lately. Uh, What's going on here? Yeah, so uh, Upwork is a platform that allows you as a freelancer to basically offer your services, Uh, often used by developers, uh, and then companies can hire these developers for specific projects. And like all of these platforms, there is a vetting system you have to go through in order to actually sign up for it and uh, their reviews and the like. What I noticed lately in particular on uh, Slack channels sort of uh, for local uh, technology groups that uh, People joined these Slack channels and then offered uh, jobs via Upwork. But the way this worked is they weren't actually giving you work. Uh, They were asking you to use your Upwork account. And uh, the trick here is that, first of all, now they're using your reputation in order to offer jobs. And of course, they're going to give you a cut of whatever they're making. Uh, but uh, they're using your good reputation to offer probably some shady services here uh, in the end. Uh, the other reason this is done apparently is that uh, some U.S.-based companies have uh, restrictions whether or not they're allowed to outsource work overseas. Ah. And they're specifically interested in gaining access uh, to U.S.-based developers' uh, Upwork accounts and then offer some you know, pretty good amount of money uh, in order to basically, as they call it, manage their work. So sometimes the way these ads are being uh, framed is that you're going to be a project manager for this team overseas. You're going to be their English-speaking face uh, to the U.S. market via your Upwork account. Uh, In some cases, they even kind of ask you if they can just, to make it easy for you after all, after all, you don't want to have too much work, uh, to just basically, if you install uh, AnyDesk or some remote control software on your PC, they'll just use your PC and your AppWorks account remotely. So uh, this way, it's really no work for you. You just uh, what could get go the money. Wrong? Yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? Probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's an obvious red flag there, but what are some of the other red flags people should be on the alert for here? Well, uh, it, with any platform like this, uh, as a freelancer, it's your reputation that's on the line. Uh, so you definitely have to be careful how you're protecting uh, your account. And I'm pretty sure if they're paying you money for it, they're also willing to steal it. Uh, so um, this is something that you have to monitor. You have to uh, check uh, the communication being uh, passed uh, through your Upwork account. And again, the same is true for any other uh, platform uh, like this, uh, you know, Fiverr or whatever. Uh, there, there are many similar platforms uh, that, uh, that basically offer you to manage work. And if you're accepting work via the platforms, well, use their mechanisms. So uh, 
it may be okay for you to outsource some of the work that you are receiving to a developers overseas via their Upwork account. Uh, but uh, be upfront to your clients too as to you know, who is doing the actual work. Uh, again, after all, it's, it's your reputation on the line. And outsourcing some work like this uh, that you feel comfortable, that you can review and such, may not be really all that bad. But uh, be upfront to your clients about what you're doing. I would suspect also there, you know, there's potential peril here if if you're uh, providing if you if you're acting as a as a middle person between uh, you know some folks in a country that isn't supposed to be doing business with the U.S. Um, that could lead to trouble there as well. There could be some uh, legal uh, issues like you know, in the more extreme cases where you're like uh, bypassing embargoes and things like this. Uh, mm-hmm. That that could certainly be an issue as well. Yeah. All right. Well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus-year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Ivan. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. 
That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. <laughs>